accountants. It's time to make it count. My name is Freddie Bennett, former accounting industry executive turned entrepreneur, business owner, change maker, and Guinness world record holder. In each episode, we bring you the powerhouses from across the accounting world to help you discover how to unlock endless possibilities, turbocharge your accounting practice, and make it count in business and in life. Thank you for showing up for yourself today. Now, let's dive into another unmissable episode of Make It Count. Welcome to another episode of Make It Count, and today we are leveling up. This is the first episode live from the Make It Count studio. Today, folks, I do have a real treat for you. I am delighted to welcome Mr. Michael Parker, Director at Mallet McLean and founder of Crux Advisory. Michael, welcome to Make It Count. Thanks, Freddie. Pleasure to have you here. Michael, to get us started off, for anyone that hasn't heard about the, the legend that is your story and hasn't heard about Mallet McLean, tell us a bit about yourself. Sure. So I guess to start with, I'm a family man. I you know, love spending time with my wife and kids outside of work. And I guess from a career perspective, I originally started out at Deloitte in the auditing department, mm-hmm. um, like a lot of uh, people who go through that big four environment. <laughs> yep. um, spent about four years there, working my way to a field manager role, um, working in both Wellington and in Glasgow over in Scotland. And I guess at the end of that, I'd been working a lot with listed companies and government organisations, but I felt that I wanted to work more with small businesses, mm. um, have more of a, an impact, make more of a difference. You know, I felt working directly with the people that own the business would be like a really fulfilling thing to do. So uh, I moved over to Nelson and joined a sort of mid-tier firm over here as a sort of advisory and accounting manager and learned the ropes with compliance accounting because I hadn't done any of that yet and learned a little bit about how small businesses work versus big corporates and you know government organizations which is a bit of a change mm. yeah sort of worked my way into a position of kind of an associate principal type role but the firm I was at um, just had a different vision for the future than what I did for the firm that I wanted to be part of. So in 2018, I and my business partner, Nathan, went off and started a firm called Crux, Crux Advice and Accounting. And we set up with the vision of setting, you know, creating a firm that sets the benchmark for the firm of the future. And you know, over the course of about four and a half, five years, uh, we built to a team of nine, you know, built a client base from the ground up um, throughout Nelson, Tasman, and actually, you know, further across the country and internationally even. And yeah, providing a lot of business development services, coaching, business planning, strategic planning, you know, forecasting, those kind of things. But we sort of got to the point in 2022 where we were kind of at that next stage of growth and we were thinking about which direction we were going to head, the kind of changes that we had to make. And we'd won a Zero Award in the year before um, and we were at uh, the Zero Award ceremony and we caught up with the uh, CEO of uh, Mallet McLean, Manoli. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> yeah, got chatting with him and I'd had conversations with him mm. um, on several occasions previously um, and we'd sort of had a bit of banter about, oh, what if we were to, you know, join forces. But 
when we both won zero awards um, and got to talking, we the conversations became a bit more serious, and mm-hmm. we thought, well, actually, we're competing for the same clients. You know, we've got a similar sort of culture. We use similar systems, mm-hmm. and so actually, could we do more together? Um, and so, yeah, in April this year, we officially merged with Mallet McLean. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Crux office um, all got rebranded under Mallet McLean. And yeah, we've still got the, the same team and, 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 you know, client base and everything, but just working together to, you know, mm-hmm. help clients build smarter, better businesses. I love that. Smarter, better businesses with the powerhouse of, uh, I almost feel like it's like a, like a Romeo and Juliet story of these two powerhouses merging together, hopefully with a happier ending than Romeo and Juliet, <laughs> I'm sure. But Michael, let's go back right to the beginning mm-hmm. when when you were growing up. Mm-hmm. Are you literally living the dream right now? Are you? Did, did young Michael always want to go down this accounting route or was it something that, that happened a bit more gradually? So I guess... A lot of people wouldn't know about my background, young Michael. Uh, when I was at college, I was a bit of a menace, to be honest. Nice. Um, I got pretty much expelled from school. <laughs> I worked a whole in a whole heap of different industries over a very short period of time, trying to figure out what I wanted to do when I was about sixteen. Mm. So I spent some time in the vineyards in Marlborough. Um, I spent some time as a mechanic. I mm. um, went off to do an apprenticeship and like being a linesman. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I wasn't really made out for physical labour, <laughs> and <laughs> so I uh, sort of decided to go back to school and mm. uh, try and. Um, well, actually, it was probably a little bit of laziness. I didn't, mm. I didn't want to be working. and But I managed to get university entrance. And yeah. um, I was like, well, what am I going to do? I may as well go to university. My partner was um, heading off to Wellington to go to university as well. So mm. it kind of made sense from a personal perspective. But I had no idea what I wanted to study. And so I always liked cars. And I was like, well, if I go and do a business degree, then maybe I can start a business that has something to do with cars or something I enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's broad enough. And so I went to Massey, did a Bachelor of Business Studies, and you know, actually started to do quite well during mm. that period. Uh, I kind of proved to myself what I could achieve. And, you know, made the dean's list and, you know, won various awards and scholarships. Mm. And then we had some people from Deloitte come in and talk to us about careers uh, and internships at the Big Four. And I quite liked, you know, what they were saying in terms of the culture of those organizations Mm. and, you know, the opportunity. And I just thought, well, you know, it's a good thing to do over the summer. I'll apply for an internship. Mm. One thing led to another. I got the internship and I found myself with a grad role. Yeah. <laughs> and then I found myself four years deep into working at a big four, which was a bit more challenging than I had have expected at the start. Mm. And I guess when I was coming into the business degree, I was sort of thinking I could do that and then get out and start my own business and something else Yeah. Uh, that, I, that was of interest to me. But I found myself actually really enjoying accounting because of the broad range of different businesses we work with Mm. um, and actually understanding how they work. I still have a passion for setting up businesses and owning, you know, different businesses. My wife and I own a retail shop called Palm Boutique and, you know, we've just dabbled in different things here and there. But ultimately, there's no better job in my opinion because we just get exposure to so many different industries and businesses mm. far beyond what any other occupation does. So I love it. I think that that's such a powerful point because so many times in our lives, we either put ourselves in a box or we allow ourselves to be put in a box. But 
I think if if you can be successful in that accounting role, then you get so much of your own destiny. You get mm. more more control, more confidence, more choice. You get to mm. make more of a difference. You get to make it count for for more businesses, um, which I think is is such a powerful reason. So for anyone who's who's considering a career in accountancy. Mm be able to, to tap in not only to that variety of clients, but also just that wealth of knowledge mm. from different leaders, different businesses, different industries. It opens up a whole world of opportunity. Mm. Um, and I wanted to ask you as well, Michael, that you mentioned that big four journey. Obviously, I've, I've been in a similar position, sure. went through university, joined a, a different big four organization. And again, I felt the, the, the pressure to conform and the overwhelm. And we all kind of know what that career entails when we sign up for it. Mm. How did you feel on that first day when you walk into that Deloitte office and it all feels very imposing and, and grown up almost? And what did you feel on those first days? And, and how, how did you manage your career in that quite high pressure environment? I felt really just like a fish out of water. For the first year of my career at Deloitte, I felt like I really didn't know anything about accounting because <laughs> you know you study accounting at university and you learn the sort of theory but it's sometimes not that applicable to mm. you know, in practice particularly when you go into something like auditing so it was a real sort of shock to the system but in saying that they actually have really good training programs at those big four firms mm. um, I often say to people when they're looking at going to a big four that you almost get like 10 years of experience in three to four years definitely um, and you just learn things you would never learn in any other place and you get the sort of work ethic that mm. it's very hard to come by because at the end of the day, a lot of the team are in it, you're all in it together and mm. you're working 60 to 80 hours a week <laughs> sometimes. Yep, I know projects <laughs> to meet, you know, really important deadlines. And it's a pressure cooker environment, but when you're young and if you know it's for a limited amount of time, mm. um, then you just soak it up and you, t you see it as an opportunity and an experience and a way to get ahead in your career. Yeah, I think it's, and I certainly remember that with, with my role, it was, it was enjoyable. It's a weird way to say, but it, mm. and I think you have to have, have done it to, yeah. to be able to, to know the feeling. But yeah. when, when it's 11 o'clock at night and you're there as a team in the trenches, and it is quite a bonding experience. Mm. And I think it, it is super powerful to help people understand mm. that they can smash those self-imposed ceilings yeah. that they put on themselves. Because we all say to ourselves, I could never achieve that goal. I'm never smart enough to be in the room. Mm. I couldn't do those things. But when you put yourself in that environment, mm. then you prove yourself wrong. Then you prove that you are capable of things that you could never even imagine. And I think, well, I'd love to know your, your opinion, but that's certainly what that, that intense encounting experience provides. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I started out at Deloitte, in my grad year, I was on an audit for, it was the Earthquake Commission. Mm. And, um, you know, obviously this is around the time that Christchurch earthquakes happened. So it's pretty big stuff and complicated. And I re remember thinking at the time, I would never be able to lead this job. Mm. Um, this is so much work. It's so complicated. I don't understand, you know, half the stuff that the people were talking about in the team. Mm. Um, but, you know, a couple of years down the track, there I was sitting there leading the team on that same client, you know, audit so mm. in that pressure environment you just have to push through mm. um, and when you do then you start to realize actually you can achieve you know a lot more than what you perhaps think definitely was was imposter syndrome ever ever something that crossed your mind Oh, yeah, definitely. And throughout my career, not just at Deloitte. But yeah, I mean, early on at Deloitte, sitting there thinking, how did I even get this job? <laughs> I don't, you know, like, because at that point in time, it was only, 
you know, four or five years ago that I was expelled from school and mm. I was, you know, not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. And then I found myself sitting in this, you know, corporate office at Deloitte working with these large mm. organizations and these really smart people. Yep. I felt like I didn't fit. Um, so, yeah, it de- de- definitely played a part. You know what? It actually gives me a lot of hope, the fact that you said that, Michael, because it was mm. exactly the same for me. When mm. I went into that corporate world, mm. I felt I didn't go to the right schools. I didn't know the right mm. things to say. I didn't know how to network. I remember on, on the first day when everyone was doing the whole networking thing oh. and that whole like, nice to meet you. Oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so. And I I was there in the corner just <laughs> saying like, free coffee. They give you free coffee. I couldn't <laughs> yeah. believe that I could just have unlimited free coffee. I didn't have to buy it. And yeah. I was just there like knocking back eight cups of coffee and um, just because it was free. Mm. But we do feel like a fish out of water mm. sometimes. And, and, it's, and it can be a difficult feeling. But mm. someone told me a, a long time ago, it's when we feel like an imposter, when we feel like a fish out of water, mm. we should take that as an indicator that we're mm. actually on the right path because mm. that means we're stepping outside of our comfort zone. Mm. And if we we should always be in those positions where we're not the smartest person in the room because that means we're learning mm. and where we're striving to to do better for ourselves and do better in our careers. Mm. And wh- I guess one of the significant influences in my career early on, a guy called Michael Markham, who is a director at Kendon's, he was actually a manager at Deloitte when I really? was there. And he was my mentor. And he talked about the fact that when you're sort of working at the edge of your capability, right at the edge between, you know, it's really uncomfortable, mm. but you can still just do it. You can still just make it. That's when you get the most learning and the most development. Mm. And it was just a really, I found it a really fantastic way to think about it and to change that mindset. Definitely. And mm. we, we could always take two different options. We could look at things as, as a threat, something that's going to stall us, mm. that will trip us up. Or we can look at it as, as an opportunity, a catapult, something that's going to propel us forward. Um, mm. And that's our choice. I believe no one can determine the path we take apart mm. from ourselves, but mm. we have to step up and see that opportunity to control our own minds and our own actions. Mm. Absolutely. Perfect. So we've had the, the, the time at Deloitte and I, think, and I know that time after about four years when we've kind of got, we still feel like a bit of an imposter, but it's also quite nice because we've had a couple of promotions and the pay is mm. getting quite tasty yeah. and everything else. And then the the choice comes, do I stay or do I go? Mm. What's running through your mind then? <laughs> so I'd just been on secondment over to the UK and that was quite a cool experience. And I came back and I just didn't have the same passion for it that I did. Mm. And I felt like I was looking at that career path ahead and I sort of thought, do I really want to try and you know become a partner in a big four accounting firm and audit? I felt like I'd learned a lot and that was awesome, but I didn't want to leave it too long and, you know, resent being there. Yeah. So, and also my wife and I, we wanted to come back to Nelson. I'm originally from Marlborough. Mm. Um, Blenheim's a bit small for me, so Nelson was the place. Um, and we wanted to come back here to start a family. So I guess at that point in time, we started to think about things and we made the call that, yep, we'd, we'd head back this way. Mm. Um, and then it was like, what do we do? What do I do career-wise? And I looked at a few corporate roles, but ultimately the, it was the accounting and advisory side of things that's, that really interested me because of mm. the variety and the range. Yeah, yeah, and definitely. And did you... When you were looking at that that next step, mm. it's a strange question to ask, but do you ever stop and wonder what would have happened if you just said to yourself, as I had on many times before I left that that big four corporate world, it's not the right time, it's a bit too difficult, if I, if I just stay here where I'm safe, just a couple more years, just the next grade, just another one, it's not the perfect time. Do you ever stop and wonder what would have happened if you just carried on that path? 
occasionally, but mm. I don't think I have to look far to see how it, how it would have looked because <laughs> there are the odd person that are still there mm-hmm. or in similar roles. Um, and in fact, someone just until just recently, a friend of mine that was in a similar role that actually has just exited and gone into a small firm. Really? So, but you know, I know people in partnership level and in, in the big four and look, it's suited to those people. That's, yeah. that's their thing and they're good at it um, and they enjoy it. But for me, it just, I don't know. I definitely would have resented being there mm. in the long run. I think that's uh, that's something when it comes to to our goals and our objectives. If it's all very well if you're chasing a goal that you want, but when mm. you get to that stage in in your career or your life when you think, what am I chasing this for? Mm. Who am I actually pretending to mm. be to get to this next level? Mm. I think it's really powerful that you made that that probably quite scary choice yeah. that I'm going to go a, a different path and. Yeah. When when you went into that more, I say that that more leadership and ownership role, mm. did you always want to be a leader? Did you always think you were naturally cut out for for leadership? No, not particularly, because I was a bit more I don't know reserved. And like you were saying, oh, those networking events, I would often mm. stand in the corner, and I didn't really wasn't really that outgoing, didn't really want to engage too much. But um, I've come out of my shell a bit as I progressed through my career. But yeah, I think for me, back then, I sort of thought, well, being able to sit in the background and just be a really strong technical person, mm. um, that was appealing to me. Mm. Uh, but as I've grown and as I've worked more with businesses and I've come out of my shell, I have definitely um, enjoyed the leadership type kind of uh, side of things. Mm. I am a big picture thinker and I also like to empower teams to you know get the most out of them. I really mm. enjoy seeing other people grow and develop. Um, mm. So that sort of is I found myself enjoying more the leadership side of things. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think you're you're right that it challenges an assumption because I was I was there as well in terms mm. of the networking events. I'd usually mm. be at the bar to be honest because that would yeah. help my confidence. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but say I'll just just a couple more then I'll go and shake some hands. But mm. I think it dispels that myth mm. that to be a leader you need to be loud, you need to be extroverted, mm. you need to be the centre of attention in the room. Mm. I think a truly powerful leader is mm. someone who first and foremost can lead themselves, mm. who can be true to their values, to their philosophy, to their way of thinking and, and being mm. congruent to those things as well. But yeah. I mean, I'd love to know your your side of it, but, but surely anyone who is an introvert can still be a powerful leader. Yeah, definitely. And I think I've got a better understanding of the different styles of leadership, particularly as we've uh, through the crux journey and now with the Mallet McLean journey because mm. you know at crux Nathan and I very different personalities but we both complemented each other really well and you know the business succeeded because of our differences mm. I think and likewise as we've merged and you know with Mallet McLean now there's you know well four main directors day to day in the Mount mm. McCain Tasman office um, again we've all got different skill sets and different leadership styles but they really work really well together mm. we know what each person's strengths and weaknesses are and you know we wear relevant hats within the business that fit those strengths and weaknesses mm. I don't think that there's a particular sort of personality type or you know whether you're introvert or extrovert that makes mm. you a good leader or not it's about self-awareness of you know what you're good at what you're not good at and being able to position yourself from a leadership perspective in line with that definitely yeah. and i have to ask on that whole strengths or weaknesses argument mm-hmm. because if you look at the business world you look at linkedin people mm-hmm. generally fall into one of two camps yep. they either say double down on your strengths mm-hmm. or they say just focus on fixing your weaknesses and your development points what's your opinion on it 
I think just be authentic. It's one of our core mm-hmm. values at Mallet McLean. And I think if you try and just always show the the good bits and mm. uh, then, you know, people don't believe it, you know, it's not coming across as genuine. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we like to walk the talk and, you know, we, for example, we have a business coach who we work with and we're part of a business coaching group with other accountants and we talk to our clients about that. Mm. We're not like ashamed of the fact that we need coaching as well. Yeah. We practice what we preach. We're authentic. We're not perfect. And mm. again, like having formed uh crux and built that from the ground up that was a really valuable learning experience because Mm. we learned to build a business definitely and we didn't buy fees we built it from scratch we learned about marketing we learned about you know strategy Mm. and you know that really helped us to be better advisors but we're able to identify what mistakes we made to Mm. then help people avoid those mistakes in their business and Mm. we're very open about that I love that. And it's that, that authenticity that you mentioned as well, mm. because there's, there's, let's face it, the world is full of people at the moment mm. that give out advice despite not have, ever having yeah. gone on that journey themselves. Yeah. And the fact that not just being an accountant, not just being an advisor, but the fact that you've literally been there with the blank sheet of paper mm. saying, we're going to start this thing what the hell do we do next? Mm. How, how do we create this this thing that we're proud of? I think it's like having, almost like having a, a baby and people describe their businesses as their yeah. babies. I have yeah. this, this precious thing here that I need to protect, nurture, grow, instill some values, yeah. wipe its ass sometimes probably as well. Yeah. And it's like when you get home from hospital and you just think, how do I do it? And mm. was that scary when you and Nathan were just there saying like, we're going to do this. Yeah. What do we do next? It was a little bit scary because mm. um, I had just had my first child, so <laughs> um, needed to... Which was more stressful, by the way, the first child oh, or all crux? Oh, I actually, the first child was pretty easy. It was the second child that was more stressful. But, I know that feeling. Um, <laughs> no, um, it was a combination. Having to bring in the money to support the family because my wife was a stay-at-home mum mm. um, and at a very early stage of business, we kind of needed to generate good profitability from day one from a startup yeah. business. That was a little bit stressful. But on the other hand, it was really exciting. Mm. It was really cool to start with a blank canvas. Like, what is our name? You know, where, mm. where does crux come from? We had all sorts of names. Some of them were terrible. Mm. Um, and we did engage some help for this. But mm. it was it was quite a fun experience. And yeah. I remember this, myself and Nathan, uh, we were doing like a bike trip down the Queen Charlotte. And we mm. stayed overnight at my family batch. And we just sitting there with a piece of paper writing out different ideas of, mm. you know, business plan ideas and, and names and yeah. all, all sorts of things. And it was fun. Yeah, mm. it was really fun. And do you feel the pressure? You mentioned, say, having having your baby, having your family. Mm. Mm. We have many times in our lives when we think, I don't want to put too much pressure on myself, but mm. at the same time, I really need to make this work. Mm. I need to not let people down. I can't let myself down. I can't let my family down. If we have a team, we can't let them down. Mm-hmm. Did that pressure ever feel like it was getting too much or did you manage it? Early on through, I think, just an experience that was particularly stressful and it felt like a fair bit of pressure but I think as things as the business grew and we just got more experience in running a business it really Mm. felt like that pressure or that stress went away to a large Mm. extent it's not like all of a sudden you know we had this big business that was pumping out you know massive profits straight away Mm. overnight it was just that I think the mindset changed 
Yeah. And I was sitting there, I was thinking like, really? I'm a resourceful guy. Mm. <laughs> I have my qualifications behind me. I have my experience behind me. Worst case scenario, this doesn't work and I can go get a job at a corporate organization as mm. a CFO or something like that or another accounting firm yeah like, it's not the end of the world mm. um so i think my risk tolerance changed as i as i grew into that role yeah within crux i think as you say it's it's natural and we we have we, we speak to clients as well and they're they're the same you have the fears and people are saying what about the money and the family and the house and the mortgage and all these things but it's I'm a big believer of actually just slowing things right down. Because when we start to speed up and panic and get stressed, that's when we get overwhelmed. Mm. If we slow it down and think, okay, if the worst happens, I've got plan B, then I've got plan C, then we can do that. Then I'm going to say, I've send my kids down the mines or something, whatever yeah. it is. Like, there's always <laughs> there's always an option. And that's yeah. why I, I know when people get lost or overwhelmed in this business, mm. they forget there is always a way forward. There's always a way ahead. Thing, things are never lost. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think what you said about slowing down, uh, mm. it's critical. You know, being a bit authentic here and vulnerable, I suppose. You know, we did make some mistakes early in Crux. Like, for example, we would take on, we'd say, any person with a heartbeat and a wallet, basically, mm. <laughs> um, as a client because we felt that pressure to have to generate money to support our families mm. but had we slowed down a little bit we would have perhaps i don't know grown a bit quicker in the long run mm. or been a bit more successful sooner yeah because we would have been able to identify who our actual target audience are who our mm. target clients are and gone specifically after them because what we found is we got full very quickly from a capacity perspective with clients who actually weren't the right fit for what we were trying to build yeah you know we'd set up this brand crux which was meant to be setting the benchmark for the firm of the future and we we were doing individual tax returns for rental properties, which, you know, <laughs> someone has to do them. Yeah. But it wasn't aligned with what we wanted our brand to be. Mm. So that was definitely a learning experience throughout that process and a mistake that we made because of the pressure. Mm. Mm. And if uh, if you could have your time again, if if we wound back the clock, it was right, we're, we're back here again, yeah. you and Nathan, blank sheet of paper. What would be the main things that you would have done differently, if anything? So probably just to say no more, mm. um, we said yes to too much stuff. And if we had been a bit braver, a bit bolder, said no, but actually got ourselves out there a bit more, then we probably could have created sooner a business that better aligned with our brand. Yeah. Also, I guess, like from a marketing perspective as well, putting ourselves a bit more out there in a way that aligned. Uh, mm. You know, I look at some of the other accountants around the country, and there's some that really stand out. The guys at Next Advisory, mm. for example, they're doing some fantastic stuff on their podcasting. Mm. And if I think if we had done something, you know, along those lines, perhaps that would have taken our business in a slightly different direction. Mm. But in saying that, you know four and a half years five years into it we certainly got to a point we were really proud of yeah, yeah. definitely i don't know michael this whole podcasting thing's overrated i reckon you'd never get me doing a <laughs> podcast that's for sure but um but i think on that you're right there's but there's always opportunities to learn and i again if we always believe that if if everything's going perfectly then we're usually either not pushing ourselves hard enough or we're not setting old enough targets but one thing I heard quite recently is that when it's a form of self-betrayal when we 
have certain goals and we have certain plans, mm. but our actions are incongruent to them. Mm. So we say we want to do one thing, but our actions are taking us a different direction. So we say we want to be this, this bold new accounting firm, but then we're saying yes to anyone with a heartbeat and a wallet. But it is all part of, of that learning journey as well. And if we didn't learn, then there'd be nothing to grow from. Yeah, definitely. And I think sometimes it just takes someone from an outside perspective to show you that that's what is happening. Mm. You know, we had a business plan and we tried to hold ourselves accountable to that, myself and Nathan and Mm. our team. But it was when we brought in some external help, uh, we engaged a guy called Mark Greer from Bizdom. I think you've had on the podcast previously. So Mark's awesome. And he um, sort of showed us through a different lens our business and sort of made us realize that we'd been, you know, Again, making some mistakes in the way that we were bringing in or choosing who we were going to mm. work with and the way we were structuring things. Yeah. Uh, and so then we were able to adapt based on mm. that. And what's really um, important at that point is that we joined one of his coaching accountability groups with yep. some other accountants. Mm. Um, and so when we had that business plan in place and we set those actions, mm. we had the accountability from our peers to ensure that we did the things we said we were going to do. Definitely. Um, so that was really helpful. And and now that's something that we want to be delivering. So mm. we're actually looking to set up a um, coaching group ourselves for mm. other accountants having been through that, that experience. Definitely. And I think that's, again, it's saying that you've been through the experience. So you are best positioned to serve. It's one of my favorite phrases. We're, we're best positioned to serve the person that we used mm. to be. Mm. And that is always something worth it. We can, we can read all the books. We can watch all the videos. We can listen to all the podcasts. But unless we've actually been there, in that person's shoes saying, I know how you're feeling right now. I suffered like you suffered. I know where the landmines are. I know where the gold mines are. And this is the way ahead. To be able to tell that story is is just unstoppable. Yeah, yeah. You can just, you know, avoid so many mistakes and really shortcut the road to success by, you know, leveraging other people's knowledge. Mm. Um, If we had have met Mark earlier or or John Skoll or, you know, Mm. Manoli earlier in our journey, then I'm sure we would have probably cut down in half the time it took to get to where we were. Mm. But you might not have learned all the lessons that you personally learned. And that's always, all these things always happen for a Mm. reason, Mm. definitely. And so let's let's fast forward a little bit now. As you say, we have Manoli, you had the awards ceremony, you were doing the cheers with your your big trophy to say, maybe should do something here <laughs> yeah. when that merger became when, when that vision became more of a reality mm. again it's another change and you had a team that you're responsible for what runs through your minds in terms of we're going to bring these two firms together it's two teams it's two cultures becoming one mm. uh, what goes through your mind and, and then how how do you take those steps forward to, to make it happen mm. so um, firstly we really wanted to think about our culture at Crux and mm. the Mallet McLean culture and whether there was a fit, you know, whether our core values were sufficiently aligned and whether our why was aligned. Mm. And we felt it really was, especially from the leadership perspective. Yeah. And, you know, we wanted to ensure that we could bring our team along the journey with us and mm. that this was going to be a beneficial thing for all the stakeholders. Yeah. For us as the, you know, leadership group and for our shareholders, mm. um, for our employees, you know, for our clients. So there's quite a lot of in-depth thinking that went into it and planning together mm. to determine, okay, is this the best thing for everyone involved and how are we going to go about doing that? Yeah. And change is hard. Change it certainly is. <laughs> is really mm. uh, hard 
to get right. We made mistakes, but, you know, none of them were catastrophic. Mm. Um, And again, we learned from them. But, you know, it's hard for staff to go from an environment, even though we had really closely aligned cultures and core values Mm. and whatnot. um, Still, the change from crux to Mallet McLean is still quite a significant one. Yeah. Different systems, you know, having to, you know, think a little bit differently about the way we go about doing our day-to-day, you Mm. know, work. It was something for them to adapt to and they're getting there certainly Mm. Um, and the team have been awesome to, you know, help with this merger process throughout both sides, both the the Mallet McLean side and the crux side. And we've talked about the team, but how does it feel for you as a leader? Because now also you're leading a bigger team. You're yeah. leading a different team who aren't used to, to your culture, to your mm. style, to, mm. to your ways of working. Yeah. How, again, do you feel that pressure yourself as a leader now? I don't feel more pressure because I actually, I actually feel less pressure mm. because I've got a broader leadership team with some really fantastic people who are really good at what they do. Mm. So we've got Manoli. He's actually, his background's not in accounting. He was an ex-banker, mm. but he's done a lot of things. He's done had a lot of governance positions, and he comes with a lot of experience Definitely. Uh, in business. And so he's a massive asset for us. He's our CEO. He's a great leader. And then, you know, we've got Louise. She's the key cog in the Nelson, the, the Mallet McLean compliance mm. machine. She keeps the wheels turning. Um, she's that sort of frontline person with the mm. operational team. We've got Nathan. He's, you know, really smart technically um, he's the tax guy he's also a really good um, operations guy and then I'm sort of more in the marketing and sales space and doing a lot of business development stuff alongside Manoli so mm. you bring all of us together and got a lot more capability and so it actually gives you a lot more comfort that you know you've got a really good team really good leadership team around you definitely and I'm gonna drop one of my uh, well, another one of my favorite quotes in here that it's it's sometimes easier to lead a kingdom mm. than it is to lead yourself. Mm. And I think because we all have these thoughts, these stresses, these dramas, these troubles going through our minds. Mm. But if if we're leading together, if we're leading as part of this, this Malik McLean in this case, kingdom, then then it does make that life so much easier. We don't have to be the lone wolf, the mm. lone the lone leader. Mm. It is about understanding that together we we are a more powerful machine. Yeah, and I mean, if you even take that to the next level, our sister firm in Southland, um, mm. the original Mallet McLean, you know, um, we've got John Skoll there and Blair and all of their partners. And again, they're just a whole nother wealth of knowledge and resource that we can tap into, mm. which is just fantastic. It's, you know, something that was a big step up when you go from Crux startup by itself, just us doing our own thing, yeah. to this network of really talented people and, and resources and knowledge mm. being built over you know 100 years effectively definitely yeah and speaking of 100 years yeah. maybe let's not look ahead to the next 100 years but certainly maybe the next the next three to five years mm. what do you think the future looks like for the accounting industry mm-hmm. and where does Mallet McLean fit in that future so um it's been the talk for a wee while now about ai and automation and the impact of that on on the industry mm. and i think the industry's got a little bit complacent because there's been a lot of talk about it and it's just not happened. Mm. And some people are like, oh yeah, we've been ta- they've been talking about that for years and it's never really happened. But mm. I think it's going to escalate pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, you can see the developments and the likes of ChatGPT and other um, AI tools out mm. there. And it's only a matter of time before the accounting industry is massively disrupted, yeah. by it, in my opinion. However, I've, I view that as a risk, but I also view it as an enabler. Mm. Um, 
Um, for a business like Mallet McLean, where we're very much focused on adding value through business development services, mm. you know, business planning, coaching, all that kind of thing that are more human, you know, yeah. they, they require that sort of human perspective. Mm. Um, it actually frees up our time and gives us better you know, information mm. and better resources to be able to help our clients more Definitely. effectively. So I'm actually quite excited about the future mm. of the profession. And you can already see in the past sort of five to 10 years with the likes of The Gap and, mm. you know, resources like that, the broadening of the services that an accountant typically provides to yeah. the client. I think you're right. And the opportunity for disruption and to mm. do things differently, the opportunity to make it count in the in the accounting industry is, is certainly there. Statues are not erected for people who play by the rules, who follow the norms, who don't do things differently. That is why it's so important to light your own path sometimes and to, to really look how how can we stand out in a in a unique way that isn't going against our values or mm. who we are or, mm. or what we do. And and I know through working with you all, through seeing everything that the Mallet McLean does, both say both here in, in the north of, uh, of South Island and in the south of South Island, the, the future is absolutely bright. Mm. Um, mm. We are coming to the end of this episode, unfortunately, now. I wish we could we could talk about this forever, especially oh. now, now we're levelling up here in the Make It Count studio. Exactly. But obviously, Michael, as is tradition here on make it count we do have the secret final question which is where the previous okay. guest gets an opportunity to ask a question of the present guest mm-hmm. and so this is your secret question that i haven't even seen myself oh, okay. <laughs> um but okay it's a it's, it's not a bad one so your secret question is what is your biggest career regret and what lesson did it teach you hmm. Oh, that's a hard one. Usually because people say there's either so many or not enough. So either either way is good. There's not enough because I feel that every decision that I've made has led me to the point where I am today. Mm. I'm saying that perhaps um, not taking some time to head overseas and, well, I spent a little bit of time overseas, three months at Deloitte and Glasgow, but I think perhaps it would have been cool to spend a couple of years over in the UK and... Mm. Um, try a few different things in the corporate sector probably would have given me a bit of a broader experience but also life experience in a different way Mm, yeah definitely yeah that's probably something that i sometimes sit back and go i wish i had done a bit more of that yeah. But there's always the opportunity to do so. As you yeah. say, I'm a big believer in, in never having regrets because everything is, is a lesson along the way. Exactly. Uh, my biggest career regret was uh, locking myself out of a hotel room naked while at a work conference. Oh, okay. But unfortunately, <laughs> we are out of time here on Make It Count. That's definitely. Cut it off. Yeah, that's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it depends what you're talking about cutting off, Michael. That's yeah. the thing. Because oh, it, was, it was very cold in that hotel corridor. <laughs> but anyway, this is about you, not me. Um, if people have enjoyed what they've been listening to today i'm going to start that again because i can do it better if people have have been um powerfully affected by what they've heard today if they want to talk to you if they're interested in that um that accountability group for accounting firms Mm. that you mentioned Mm. how do people find you where do they get in touch with you yeah, so if you just head along to our website, um, our Tasman office has its own website, which is mmcatasman.co.nz, then you'll be able to, you have, it has our details on there, go to the contact us page and you can flick us a message. Um, alternatively, you can contact me at michael.parker at mmca.co.nz mm-hmm. and yeah, just 
whatever is easier. <laughs> Perfect. And we'll put all those links in uh, in the show yeah. notes as well. For now, Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. I've loved having you here on Make It Count. I knew this was going to be such a powerful episode and it has totally even surpassed my expectations. We're going to have to have you back. And as always, I'm a huge fan of everything that yourself and the Mallet McLean team do. But for now, thank you for being part of Make It Count. Thanks, Freddie. Enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope today's episode informed, educated, motivated, and inspired you to make it count for your clients and your business. Make sure you check out the show notes of this episode for the all important links. Please hit subscribe, share it with the world, and don't forget to give us a five-star review. We love getting feedback on this show, and I'd love to hear which part resonated with you the most. Remember, you have got the skills, talent, expertise and experience to make a huge difference in the lives and businesses of your clients. The days of the bean counter are over. It's time to make it count. I'll see you on the other side.